Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. Uh, look, Kurt was certainly struggling with drugs at the time. This is widely known. But uh, creatively, in my experience, was that he always knew exactly what he was doing. And he, uh, he executed, you know, one of the greatest, you know, arguably the greatest MTV Unplugged uh, ever. The Taking a Walk podcast loves to celebrate great moments in music history. There was an iconic moment that occurred on November 18, 1993 in New York City. Nirvana recorded their MTV Unplugged in New York, which stands the test of time as a seminal moment in their career and in music. Join host Buzz Knight with special guests that include Danny Goldberg, longtime music executive and at the time he was the manager of Nirvana. Buzz is also joined by former MTV VH1 executive Rob Barnett, who shares his recollections from that magic moment in music history. We'll also hear from some fans who were there at the concert sharing their piece of music history. All next on Taking a Walk. Danny Goldberg. Danny, can you tell us about the process that led to the performance becoming a reality? Well, there were a couple of different factors. Uh, One was um, that Kurt uh, had put an enormous amount of energy into the video for heart-shaped box it was the most uh, highest budget video nirvana had done uh there was um they changed directors uh and um he he didn't really feel he couldn't think of another music video in his mind for a subsequent song 
um, that would that would that would live up to the production of heart shaped box, and he, he just wasn't he didn't have a vision for it. Prior, to, you know, all of the Nirvana videos were Kurt's ideas. Uh, you know, it smells like Teen Spirit and In Bloom and so forth, and um, and so unplugged. But he wanted to do justice to In Utero, which had just come out. You know, only been out a few few months, and he was very very tuned into the influence and cultural footprint of MTV. He watched MTV a lot and he he knew they were really important to the band's connection with their with their fans. So so unplugged uh was was a way of uh, of of having a significant presence on MTV without making another music video. That was one factor. Uh and uh, another factor is I think MTV wanted the band to do it and he didn't love saying no to MTV. He would say no to the monication because his art and his own personal schedule came first, but they were very important to him. Uh, and then at some point, he developed a creative vision of what a Nirvana Unplugged would be. I don't know when that happened, but by the time they did it, it was completely different from any other Unplugged. I mean, most artists, when they did an Unplugged, uh, would just do their hits, an acoustic version of them. Uh the Nirvana Unplugged didn't even have uh, some of their biggest songs on it. There was no Smells Like Teen Spirit, for example. Uh, and it had several songs that had never been uh, recorded or even performed by Nirvana before. Those Meat Puppet songs and uh, I, I, the, the David Bowie, Man Who Sold the World. I mean, maybe he had done it at some point in the past, but I never heard him do it. Um and uh, and he, and he really had this vision of a different kind of instrumentation and just kind of another version of his art. So it started out as a marketing idea and it ended up being, you know, a, a real creative self-expression for him. So I know the rehearsal process in uh, Weehawken was definitely a challenging process. What were your recollections of that rehearsal? Oh, I was um, I, I I was on the west uh, coast. Uh, my my uh, my wife was about to give birth to our son Max, and uh, so I wasn't there. I was on the phone a lot with both him and other people around. But uh, look, Kurt was certainly struggling with drugs at the time. This is widely known. But uh, creatively, in my experience, was that he always knew exactly what he was doing. And he uh, he executed, you know, one of the greatest, you know, arguably the greatest MTV Unplugged uh, ever. So, uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't remember uh, any more drama about the rehearsals that other than the, the continuing drama of his uh, you know personal issues that had been going on, you know, for several months. Did you feel then that he was discovering a new style in terms of the form that uh, that performance ultimately took? Well, he talked about it afterwards. I spoke to him the next day, um, and uh, and he was really excited by it at that time. Uh, Janet uh, Billig, who, who who worked for my company then, who was very close to Kurt, told me that in the immediate aftermath of it, he was worried that it sucked, and he 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 was very anxiety ridden about it. But when he, he he got so much good feedback, by the next day when I spoke to him, he was really excited, and he felt that people would perceive the band in a new way. He was so ambitious that he as successful as Nirvana had been. 
two number one albums, redefining what commercial rock and roll was globally. He still felt he had other parts of himself creatively that were meaningful, and and he thought he had really he had really demonstrated some of that with the unplugged. So he was really really excited about it by the next day, and uh, there was no question in my mind that this was again this was art to him. This was not marketing. And did you end up feeling differently about the performance as time? past and when it would ultimately run on uh, MTV that uh, December? Oh, I don't know. I fell in love with it right away. I mean, you know, uh, I loved hearing his voice. Uh, I, I, I I thought the performances were incredible. The Lead Belly song, the Bowie song, the um, uh, Penny Royalty without any rhythm, just just a, almost a folk version of it. And that was one of my favorite of his lyrics. Uh, I... I, I um, I, I knew right away it was spectacular. And so I still feel that way to this day. Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, the Unplugged is their favorite Nirvana album. Uh, it's certainly up there along Nevermind in, in Utero uh, as, as one of the three albums that really defines the band's uh, legacy. Thank you, Danny. That's tremendous. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Buzz. Thanks for including me. We'll be right back with more of the Taking a Walk podcast. Welcome back to the Taking a Walk podcast. I'm Sarah from Fairfield, Connecticut, and I cannot believe it has been 30 years since I witnessed Nirvana at the MTV Unplugged performance in New York. I knew when I was walking in, like, this really was going to be something special. Like, there was just such a vibe, like, with all the Nirvana fans, like, you could just feel the aura in the air. Hey, I'm James, and I'm 50 years old now. I live in Montclair, New York, and I was there November 18th, 1993, for what was a magnificent performance at the Nirvana MTV Unplugged. I knew I had witnessed music history. The atmosphere there was so electric from the moment we walked in. The stage was beautifully set with candles and flowers and um, that iconic Nirvana logo backdrop. You could you could feel the anticipation in the air and then Kurt, Chris and Dave walked out and the crowd just erupted. Rob Barnett. So Rob, thanks for being on this moment of uh, taking a walk where we are celebrating the MTV Nirvana unplugged in New York from November of 93. Now, you had an 11-year run uh, at MTV and VH1. Uh, what were you doing in particular at this time at uh, MTV? I was a lucky, lucky boy because years after programming some of America's finest rock radio stations all around the country, I got to MTV in the late 80s, and that was a time when it was still all music, and I was one of the heads of programming at MTV. So my job, along with just five other human beings, every single Monday morning was to sit in a big honking conference room where they would show us every single music video that was submitted that week, and then like Christians to the lions, we'd either do thumbs up or thumbs down 
three of us were the music programmers. We were, you know, we had those radio chops, right? And then the other three people in the room were called TAR, Talent and Artist Relations. They were there with equally great, you know, music experience and programmer chops, but they were representing what the labels and the artists were interested in. And then the genius of the chairman of then Viacom, Tom Preston, was that the six of us would fight, right? Because there were only a few slots that would be added to that playlist every week. So that was that was the first part of the job. Second part of the job was that I sat in an office that had four people that worked under me and the 24-hour pages of a full-day programming log would get passed up the line each day from the junior person on the staff up to me. And we would we would literally, you know, go over every minute of every hour of everything that was on MTV. We programmed the thing like a radio station with pictures. So do you remember who was really um, at the core of the person that sort of, you know, brought this idea forward about uh, Nirvana doing this performance? <laughs> it's a great story because, you know, success has many mothers and many fathers, but there is absolutely no question if you're an intense Nirvana fan, then you need to know if you don't already about who Amy Finnerty is. Because back then, you know, remember the old days when we would go to our job and have to show up at 9 a.m., especially on a Monday? Remember those days, Buzz? Yeah. Even if we, we had the coolest jobs in the world, you fucking had to go to your job and show up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And, and the funniest thing about MTV back then is some of us even wore suits, which just makes you want to throw up now when you think about it. You know, remember when radio guys, like we started to wear like sports jackets and ties and we all look like idiots well it, it was a little bit like that and on many many monday mornings when four out of the five people that worked for me would show up the desk down at the end of the line amy finnerty's desk would be empty on many many monday mornings and i would look at all my guys and i would say to kurt Steffik, one of her best buddies one of the great programmers of mtv where the fuck is amy <laughs> and kurt would give me some sort of dog ate my homework cover like oh yeah she she's out of town um and she wanted you to know that she missed her flight and i go well great when is she going to be here oh the she, the plane you know i think this afternoon many many weeks when amy wasn't where she should have been at times square no we weren't even in times square we were at columbus circle in new york back then amy was in seattle and for MTV's purposes, Amy Finnerty was busy discovering Nirvana. And when she came back on one certain week and started playing that music for the senior leadership team of MTV, the world changed. Because if you look at the context of what was happening in music, and especially what was happening at MTV, late 80s, we had a hairband phase. Early 90s, we had a boy band phase. And, you know, I was a little sad during the boy band phase because I thought I was working 
at the pop culture center of the universe. And I, of course, wanted to be working at the rock and roll center of the universe. But we were a little busy for a few years playing Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and, you know, uh, Backstreet Boys in sync. That's what was happening a few moments before we heard Nirvana. And everyone in the world knows that that not only changed the course of rock forever, we can now say decades and decades later that that moment was the last major innovation in the story of rock. And when you listen today to Unplugged in New York with Nirvana, tell me, as you reflect on that, uh, how you feel about the performance, uh, how it stands up now. Well, it's great to get the invitation to reconnect with you, especially to talk about this topic and this album, because I spent the last couple of nights listening again to that magic moment on this earth. And you can't listen to it without the agony and the pain of losing Kurt. When that happened, my office was seated next to Kurt Loder for many years. Kurt and I worked together on dozens of the MTV docs that were called rockumentaries. But when we lost Kurt not long after MTV Unplugged, Kurt was our Walter Cronkite. And this was one of the great moments in American history and world history to lose one of the true geniuses in the history of music. When you listen to Nirvana Unplugged, you're hearing the marriage of pop, rock, punk, and this ineffable section of American music that took something that was in the same breath, raw, melodic, and pop, and it almost doesn't mathematically add up in your mind, except for the fact that its strength and its power is in its uniqueness and in its ability to just rip right through your soul and demand that you pay attention to something that is completely unlike anything else. I mean, I'm old enough to have spent a lot of years at CBGBs and the punk clubs in the mid and late 70s uh, in New York, this was certainly the child of that, but it took it in a direction that punk could never really get to or was never designed to get to. Nirvana took it to the top of the mountain. It's brilliant. Thank you, Rob. So great to be with you again. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.